0: Earlier, earlier we were talking about talking about superheroes, right? Earlier we were talking about superheroes. There's one of these guys. One of these guys has a has a movie that is in the theaters like right now. You can go see um, this guy. This guy they call him the Batman. Um, <laughs> Like, how Batman, and I don't know, like, like, people really seem to like this guy. Like, he's kind of, he's kind of got a spooky, a spooky aesthetic. Like, he's, he's kind of creepy, um, but in, like, a good way, like, because he's going to creep out the bad guys, um, and, and, but even, like, kids love him and stuff. This is, where can we put, we'll put Batman over here. Yeah. This guy, the Batman, you guys have heard, you guys have heard about this guy, the Batman. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, um. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil the movie. Uh, but just the concept of, of, of there's this guy, the Batman. But he seems to be really popular with people. People really like this guy and all the stuff that he does. They are about it. They want to see him doing his thing. Um, apparently, because they just keep making movie after movie after movie, people are about this Batman. I think part of the appeal of Batman is that underneath the, the, the spooky costume, he's just a regular guy right? He's just a regular guy. He does not have Superman strength and can, can fly around the world, right? Uh, he, he does not have laser beams that shoot out of his eyes. He is rich, right? We can't neglect that. Like, he's, he's stupid rich, stupid wealthy. Uh, he has a lot of money, right? But other than that, <laughs> he's just like me and you, right? He's just a human being. He's just a regular guy, um, you know? And, and uh, yeah, he is incredibly wealthy. He is like trained by all the best you know fighters and martial artists and detectives and scientists and what have you uh, to make him like the best at everything okay fine but after all that he's just a human right he's just a regular guy and I think that's part of the appeal of Batman is you look at Batman and you think you know what about it, I can do that right like if I had a billion dollars I could buy a car to go real fast Right, if I had if I had all the time of being a billionaire, I could I could get in like Olympic level fitness strength. I could train with all the martial artists, the best in the world. and I could get 18 black belts. Like, I could do that. Right? We see Batman, and it's like, there's no Superman. I can't pick up I can't pick up the bus and fly around the world with it. But Batman, you know what? Given the proper training and stuff, I bet mean, I could do that. I could do what he's doing. Right? I could, I could get out there and do that because he's just he's just a regular duck guy. You you could be Batman, right? To be like I am, Batman. Surprise! No, you could be Batman. You could do everything that he can do. The person that we're going to study in the scripture tonight is also just a regular human guy. He is just a regular guy. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us. It says he's a human, just like us. Uh, you could do what this guy does, right? The guy we're going to talk about. God's going to do some amazing stuff in his life, but the Bible's clear to tell us: no, he he's just a human, right? You could do what this guy does. He's a regular guy who does extraordinary things for the Lord, and his name is Elijah. Elijah. Tonight we're going to talk about Elijah. So our series... This semester, we've been calling influencers, looking at major people of influence in the Old Testament, major people that God used strategically for his kingdom and for his glory on the earth, and what we can learn from them about how we as well can have influence for God, how we can make a big difference uh, in our world and our culture, uh, in the sphere of influence where God has us, where we can make a big, big impact for God's glory and leave a lasting legacy. We've we've who are some of the people we've talked about. In these last few weeks? David. Talk about David. Talk about Ruth. Last week was Jonah. Yeah. Talk about Moses. Talk about Samuel. So we've heard from a few of these people. Uh, And tonight we're going to talk about the prophet Elijah to set the stage a little bit. For Elijah's life, and again, if you missed all those other ones, it's a series. But also, you can just jump in tonight, and you're going to be absolutely fine. If you do want to go catch up on some of those that you missed, you can check those out on the Kyle from Memphis uh, podcast. But tonight, we're just going to focus on the life of the prophet Elijah to set the stage a little bit. What is going on in Israel, Israel at the time that Elijah is the is the prophet there? What is going on? So the last time we really talked about kind of what was going on in Israel. You know, Jackie talked about King David, right? They, they established a monarchy uh, in Israel, first with King Saul, but then uh, his successor was King David. Uh, and, and, and Jackie talked about him a few weeks ago, and then David's one of David's sons became the next king. His his name was Solomon, right? And, and the Bible tells us I mean, he was one of the wisest men that ever lived, King Solomon. Uh, and then after Solomon... Solomon's sons split the kingdom, right? So instead of it being one king now there's two kingdoms There's a northern kingdom of Israel a southern kingdom of Judah and they each have their own respective kings and for the rest of Israel's history It's split. It's divided. It's a divided kingdom And so as you're reading the Bible the rest of the book of first and second kings and first and second chronicles are about uh, Is about this kingdom and the different reigns of these kings some of these kings not very many of them, but some of them are good kings, right? They're good kings leading the people in righteousness and back to the Lord. Many of them, unfortunately, are wicked kings that are leading the people uh, into wickedness, leading the people away from God, uh, specifically uh, allowing idolatry to really infiltrate the culture of Israel. Israel starts worshiping the other Canaanite gods of some of the neighboring kingdoms, uh, specifically one of these gods uh, is named Baal. Uh, there's another goddess that they worship named Asherah uh, And so some, some of the, the kings not only not only allow uh, This worship to to, to happen. But they even encourage it, right? So these are these are wicked kings that are leading people Away from the god who saved them and redeemed them and established them and they're leading them into sin and idolatry And so the king during the time that elijah served as prophet was a man named Ahab and Ahab was one of those really wicked kings. He built a temple for Baal, right? So not only was he allowing worship of these, of these other, other gods and idols, he built a temple to help worship him. He also married a Phoenician princess named Jezebel, who brought a large entourage of priests and prophets of Baal and Asherah into the country, right? So, so, so this guy and his wife uh, is really encouraging idol worship Uh, They're in the nation of israel and that grieves god's heart right when god is seeing his people being led astray Into sin and idolatry and it's breaking god's heart And so this is the context this context of growing national idolatry is where elijah Appears on the scene to again condemn that idolatry and call people return back to the lord return back to god And I say that he appears on the scene because that's what happens. We know next to nothing about this guy He just shows up one day if you're following along in your bible. It's gonna be 1 kings chapter 17 1 Kings chapter 17. We say Elijah is a prophet. That means he speaks to the people from God. There's several of these prophets throughout the Bible, uh, and, and usually their, their messages are very similar. If you had to sum up uh, the ministry of a prophet into you know, one idea, yes, they speak from God. What is the message? To turn away from sin and idolatry and return to the Lord. Right? If you could sum up the message of each of these prophets, a lot of times they boil down to that Turn away from your sins, turn away from idolatry, and turn back to God, turn back to the Lord. Sometimes mixed in there is warnings that, man, if you don't do this, there's going to be judgment, there's going to be catastrophic consequences. And sometimes in in these pronunciations of of what God's doing, it's predictions about the future and what's going to happen there, and, and oftentimes also predictions about the coming Messiah, the one that God would send to save and redeem people, right? So Elijah here is ministering. Again, he's a prophet, so he's speaking from God, and he's telling people, turn away from your sins and come back to God. And so this is where he shows up, 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now Elijah who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So he shows up in King Ahab's courts, wherever, wherever Ahab finds himself, and he says, okay, I'm the prophet, I've got a word from the Lord, and here it is, uh, because of your sin, because of your idolatry, judgment's coming upon you. And here's what it is. There's going to be no rain for years until I say otherwise. And then he just leaves, right? And that, that's it. Uh, and, and God does exactly that. It stops raining. Dew stops forming on the ground. It becomes very dry. It becomes a drought. Can't have crops. You know, livestock suffer. So, so uh, and this is a huge judgment there for the kingdom of Israel. Elijah's showing up here with, again, very little introduction. This is his first appearance. This is the first we're told about him. We're told where he's from, Tishbe. We're told his name, Elijah, which in Hebrew simply means, my God is Yahweh. That's a really good name, right? My God is Yahweh. My God is the Lord. Elijah warns Ahab that there's going to be years of catastrophic drought, so severe that not even dew will form, because Ahab and his queen have done evil in the sight of the Lord and led people into idolatry. Part of what makes uh, Elijah's pronouncement so significant, right, is because the God that Ahab and Jezebel had led people to worship is the God Baal. The Canaanite God Baal was God of the storm. So he's the God of rain and thunderstorms and lightning and, and dew and all these kind of things. The the God, the God uh, that would normally bring uh, the, 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 this water that they counted on for, for storms and for rainfall. He says, no, Yahweh is more powerful than that. It's not going to rain for years, period. Right. And so this is a direct challenge to the idol that they've been worshiping. Um So this proclamation of a drought is a direct challenge to Baal and to Baal's prophets. The Lord, after this, instructs Elijah, now you need to get out of town. You need to get out of here. So Elijah leaves uh, and goes and hides in a ravine east of the Jordan River where he can drink from a brook, and he's fed by ravens. Would that be, you guys think you'd like that if if ravens just brought you whatever you needed to eat that day, you didn't have to work about it, you didn't have to stand in line at Chick-fil-A, stand in line at Panda, you're just hanging out in a raven's, like, here, I got you, I don't know what they would bring you, right? It doesn't get into detail there. But he's fed by ravens um, until eventually even that brook dries up. The drought is bad. Um, and then he goes and stays with a widow that he meets in Zarephath. Now, it, this widow's in tough shape. It's a widow and her son. And again, the, the, drought's, the drought's hitting everybody. So the, the widow is in, in really tough shape. She's run out of food. She basically has enough uh, enough flour and enough oil to make one more bread, one more meal, and that's the last meal. So her plan for the day, and this is, this is really, this is dire. Her plan for the day, I'm going to bake this bread. Me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to die, right? And so this is when Elijah steps into her life, right? Steps into this widow's life, and he says, that plan sounds grim. Can I add one caveat to it? Would you make me a little bread first and then do that plan, right? Then, then whatever you need to do, would you make me that bread first? This, is like, man, that's a bold thing, Elijah, for you to say. Um, The the widow's planning her last meal. Elijah says make me some bread first. But he says don't worry I mean mean, go ahead with your plan um, And go ahead and make the meal for you and your son verse 14. This is this is first Kings 17 14 He says but this is what the lord the god of israel says He's like if you'll do this for me There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time the lord sends rain for crops again to grow he says, if you, if you do this, if you show faith in God by making me a meal first, I'm going to make sure this isn't your last meal, right? That, that your, your jar of flour is never going to run out, right? Your, your little your little jug of oil is never going to run out. You're going to have enough to last you all the way through this drought, all the way through this famine. And this is exactly what happens. Now, I don't know what that looked like, right? What was it in, we were in D-class a couple weeks ago. Someone was asking, like, yeah, what was it like when, when Jesus fed the 5,000? Who knows, right? But every time they poured out some flour poured out some oil, there was still more, and that went on for years, right? So they were able to eat this this bread meal, and for the next several years, God sustained them. It's a supernatural miracle, and yeah, it is really similar uh, to the food miracle uh, in the Gospels where Jesus feeds a crowd of thousands with five loaves of bread and two fish. God feeds this family, this, you know, Elijah and this widow and her son, feeds them again and again from one jar of flour and one jug of oil. Just showing, God says, man, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. The circumstances may seem grim, but if you put your trust in the Lord, he's going to take care of you. Sometime later, the widow's son grows ill. He gets really sick. We don't know why, but he gets really sick, and then he dies. And so the widow asks Elijah, how in the world Could God have let this happen, right? I thought you came here to to, to help me, to to bless me. How in the world could God let my son die? Elijah asked the Lord the same thing. He says, God, why'd you let this happen? Why'd you let this happen? Uh, And he cries out to God. He cries out and he says, Lord, please give this child his life back. And he prays and believes that God's going to bring him back to life. And it says the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned. You know, he gathers the child up. He takes him to his mom and says, look, your son's alive. God heard Elijah's prayer and brought this little boy back to life. This is significant because this is the first resurrection in all of Scripture. There's going to be more, but this is the first one. And it's significant, right? The first time that God is demonstrating I have power even over death. I have power even over life and death. Nothing is too hard for me, right? I, I, can, I can feed you in a drought. I can bring you back to life when you're dead. This is the first recorded resurrection there in the scriptures. Now back, you guys remember, remember last semester, we talked about Abraham believed in the idea of resurrection, right? When, when God asked him to sacrifice his son, we're told that he believed that even if that happened, God would raise his son back to him. So he believed in resurrection. He had hope in resurrection. Uh, and the New Testament writers tell us, man, this is a foreshadowing uh, to the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but he didn't have to resurrect Isaac, right, because cause, cause God spared, God, God sent a ram. But this is the first actual resurrection we have in the scriptures. God demonstrates, no, I've got power even over death, uh, and uses Elijah to, to bring this boy back to life. So after more than three years of drought, and famine. God tells Elijah, "All right, it's time to go back to Ahab and see if he's changed his tune. Return to Ahab and announce the end of the drought." And this right here is where the conflict with the idolatry and Baal worship there in Israel and uh, in, 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 in Elijah's ministry here. This is where it all culminates into a dramatic showdown. Uh, so, so Elijah does. He goes and he confronts ahab and he proposes a challenge he says okay ahab i'm going to propose a challenge first ahab i want you to summon the whole kingdom i want you to get everybody here the whole nation of israel to assemble also go ahead and assemble all 450 prophets of baal and also go ahead and bring all 400 prophets uh, of of asherah as well we're going to get them all together because it's about to go down right so he proposes this challenge he has them all gathered there at mount carmel this is 1 kings chapter 18. And Elijah then challenges the people. So all the people are gathered. This is before the challenge goes down. He addresses the people, right? He's addressed the king. Now he's addressing the people. First Kings chapter 18, verse 20, pleading with them to return to the Lord. First Kings 18:20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver holding between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. You know, he challenges them. You're, you're messing around with idolatry. You know, maybe some days of the week you're worshiping the Lord, like on the Sabbath. Maybe you're, you're making sacrifices to Yahweh. And then the other days of the week you're worshiping Asherah, you're worshiping Baal. He like, I man, don't, don't keep on like this. If Baal's God, fine, go worship him. Obviously, he must not be a great guy because he didn't let it rain for three years. But, but if you really think Baal's God, fine, go on and worship him then. But if is really God, then you ought to worship him. But stop wavering between the two. And honestly, a lot of us need to ask ourselves that same question, right? Is the idol we're worshiping, is the thing that's taking up so much of our time and our attention, is that thing really God? I mean, if it is, fine, man, go chase after that thing. But if it's not... I man, man, let's focus on the Lord. Let's get rid of our idols and give and Jesus the worship that He's worthy of. Let's really follow God. Let's be all in for God. Um, all of us have things that 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 become idols in our life. I would guarantee almost probably none of you have an altar to Baal somewhere in your dorm room, or have or have a pole erected to Asherah somewhere in your dorm room that that, that you don't have probably a figure that you're bound down to quite in that way. But we've all got something that takes God's place in our heart, right? That either takes up so much of our time that we don't, I just can't find time to pray, man. I just can't find time to to read the Bible because our time is crowded out by something else, right? Or or something that's crowding out our affections. We just, I can't find that love in my heart for God. I can't can't be all in 100% because something else is also vying for my attention, also competing for my affections and keeping me from being all in. And whatever that is, whatever is keeping God from being number one in your heart, man, that's an idol. It may not be a thing carved out of stone or wood. It may not be a thing that you're seeing yourself bowing down in worship. But if it's taking God's place in your life, then it's an idol, right? And God wants to deal with that. So, and the same challenge that Elijah's proposing to Israel here, I man, I want to propose to us as well. Let's not hobble between two opinions, right? Let's not kind of, I'll mess around with idolatry one day, and then on Wednesday nights I come and worship the Lord of Chi Alpha. I mean, Sundays I get with God, maybe at church, and, and then I'm messing around with stuff during the week. Uh, I mean, let's really be all in for God, amen? First Kings 18 continues as Elijah then proposes the challenge. He said, okay, you're probably wondering why I gathered all these other prophets here that y'all know I probably don't like. Uh, here's what's going to go down. We're going to do once and for all, decide, is Yahweh God? Or is Baal God? We're going to decide it. Here's the challenge he proposes. We're going to build two altars up on top of this mountain, right? We're going to build an altar. We're going to put an animal on it uh, to be burned up by fire. uh, And then we're going to take turns. Um, Here's the important part. We're not going to light the fire, though. We're just going to build the altar, put the animal on it, and then we're going to pray. And we're going to trust that whatever God uh, we're praying to is going to hear our prayer and then set the sacrifice on fire and consume it. And he says... He says, you know, prophets of Baal, I'm going to let y'all go first. So, so they, they build up their altar, uh, and, and they start praying you know, to, for, for Baal to I don't know, drop a lightning bolt or something and start a fire uh, and, and consume the sacrifice. And then they, they start praying in the morning, and they pray all the way uh, into noontime. It's been hours. Nothing's happening. Why is nothing happening? Right, right, because it's an idol, right? Um, but, but so this is, we're going to be in verse 27. first uh, Kings eighteen twenty-seven. 27. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. About noontime, he begins mocking them. Maybe you're going to need to shout louder. He scoffed, like, Baal's not hearing you. Like, you've been praying all day, and nothing's happening. Uh, may, maybe you need to be a little louder. Because surely he's God, right? Like, surely he's a God. Uh, perhaps he's daydreaming. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Yes, you read that right. Or maybe he's away on a trip. Like, does y'all's God take vacations? Maybe that's it. Maybe he's on vacation. He's just out for the day. Uh, maybe he's asleep and he needs to be woken up. That's probably it. He's probably asleep. Just get real loud. That's got to be it, right? And verse 20 says, so they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until their blood gushed out. It's gross. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. So all day long, they're calling out to Baal. Baal, please hear our our prayer. Baal, please come and prove yourself. Consume this sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. The problem with idols is they can't do nothing for us, right? The problem with idols is they take up so much of our time, so much of our focus, so much of our attention, and they do not do a thing for us. No reply, no response, no answer, no meaningful help at all. But We give our whole lives to these things. We give so many hours of our focus and attention to these things. Can cannot help us one bit, right? When God's like, I'm right here, I'm right here. Turn to me, turn to me, put your faith in me. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to move in your life. Um, but yeah, they're, they're calling out all day long. No sound, no reply, no response. Now it's Elijah's turn. Now it's Elijah's turn to pray to Yahweh, to pray to the Lord and have the Lord consume his sacrifice, but Elijah says, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna crank up the difficulty a little bit. I'm gonna make it more difficult. I'm gonna totally douse the sacrifice and my altar in water. And so maybe this is so that no one could say, oh, it was just everything was really dry, right? So a, a, a stray spark, you know, lit, lit, lit the sacrifice on fire. Maybe Elijah had like some uh, matches or a little big lighter in his pocket, right? Nothing <laughs> sneaky, right? Now I want you to douse it in water, dig a trench around it, douse it in water again, douse it three times in water until it's just soaking wet. And then I'll pray to the Lord, and we'll see what happens. And so this is what what he does. Uh, Verse 36, it says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you're turning their hearts back again. Man, just that idea that God would even want them back after they've been unfaithful to him. And this is the God we serve that loves us and, and has his arms open, just wants us to return, wants us to come back and is turning our hearts back towards him. After this prayer, verse 38 says, Then a fire, the fire of the Lord, fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and licked up all the water in the trench. Just all of it. Right? Got it all boom when all the people saw this they fell prostrate prostrate before the Lord and cried the Lord he is God the Lord he is God laid down before God and said okay obviously it's not Baal right obviously it's the Lord obviously it's the Lord and so uh, I mean after this big demonstration uh it was real clear to the people, right? The, the, the Baal is an idol, right? This, this is a false idol, a false God. Um, and so the, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, had a prescription for what to do with a false prophet, right? If there was a prophet that was leading people astray, a prophet saying they're speaking from God, but then it doesn't come true because they're, they're not really speaking from God. And it was harsh. He said these false prophets had to be put to death. Because God didn't mess around with that. He didn't want people saying, hey, God says this to manipulate and control people. Because that happens. Sadly, that happens. People say they're speaking from God, um, but but it's so they can control and manipulate people. And God says, I have zero tolerance for that. Uh, And so false prophets need to be put to death so they don't lead thousands and millions of people astray with their false prophecies. So after this big confrontation on Mount Carmel, that's exactly what happens. And the prophets of Baal are put to death. Let's go back to Ahab and Jezebel. Are they happy about this? No, no, they're not. They're really upset about this. Jezebel, especially, is enraged uh, uh, about what Elijah did and about the death of Baal's prophets. And he threatens to kill, she threatens to kill Elijah. After this, Elijah flees into the wilderness because the princess, the queen, is threatened to kill him. He flees into the wilderness, and when he gets there, he prays for his own death. This may seem really striking. Elijah, you just had this big victory, right? And now you're out in the wilderness, depressed, just praying for death, asking for death. He's exhausted. He falls asleep under a tree. Even coming off of a major victory, Elijah finds himself hopeless and depressed and praying for death. Can anyone else relate to that? There may be some things in your life that are going really good. But the one thing in your life's going really bad, and it kind, of, it kind of wrecks everything. Like maybe on the surface, everything seems like it should be fine, but nobody told your emotions, right? And you're, and you're, and you're still, still real depressed, still real lonely, still feel real hopeless. Remember what I said about Elijah? He's just a human being, right? He's not a superhero. So he goes through the whole range of emotions like you. He can have a, a mountaintop day one day, and he can be down in the valley the next day because, again, he's a human being. Right? So even after this huge victory, this huge success, um, he's still feeling the pangs of human emotion, uh, and he's feeling real low, real low in this moment, um, and saying, God, I don't even, even want to live. I don't even want to live anymore. An angel of the Lord comes and touches Elijah, telling him to wake up and eat because he has a long journey ahead of him. Elijah then travels for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. You guys have heard of this mountain before. It's the same mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments several centuries before. So he goes on Mount Horeb here, and he hides in a cave, and he just waits. And then God shows up and says, Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he gives him instructions. This is uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 11. He says, go out and stand before me, Elijah, on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. So again, this is is the same mountain where where God revealed himself to Moses, gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And last semester, we even talked about the the encounter God had uh, with Moses, Moses had with God, where where Moses was desperate to to just experience more of God. And he says, God, show me your glory. And God hides him in the cleft of a rock and, and passes by. And he has this dramatic experience of God's glory that, that changes his life. Um, and th- this is similar to that, right? Um, but whereas uh, God was revealing his glory uh, there, there to Moses, uh, so, so, so that Moses could have confidence that, yes, he's going to use him to lead the people of Israel, uh, this is a little different. This is a chance for God to reveal his tenderness uh, to Elijah here. Elijah's at a low point, a really low, hopeless point. And this is a way that for God to say, Elijah, I see you. I love you, I care about you, and to be really gentle and tender uh, with with Elijah here in this moment. So here's how he does it. Um, Again, he's, he's standing there as the Lord passes by. First, it says, a mighty windstorm hits the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's like, God, you know why I'm here, right? He says in verse 14, he replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He says, God, you see how tough it is out here for me? I'm like the only one still going hard for you. I'm the only one. All the other prophets are either dead or they turn their backs on you or they're serving Baal. Like I'm the only one left and and I'm discouraged. The Lord says, hold up about that one point you're not the only one left. You're not the only one left. The Lord tells him, no, there are several others that are still faithful to me. 7,000 who I've preserved and have not bowed down to Baal. God says, no, there's still other people that are faithful. When we're low, when we're depressed, it's isolating and lonely. And in that moment, we feel like we're the only one. No one understands. No one relates. No one can know what I'm going through. It's just me and I'm all alone. And God says, I want to minister to that. I want to bring restoration and healing, but, but here's, let me speak some truth to it as well. You're not alone. You're not alone. I've got 7,000 people that have never even bowed a knee to Baal. They're still faithful to me. Uh, and, and, and so I want you to know you're in good company, Elijah. And in those moments that we feel alone, we need to remind ourselves of the same thing. You're not alone, right? Man, you, you've got brothers and sisters that love you right here in this room, right? Uh, and, and probably elsewhere, too. Man, friends and people place, God has placed in your life. Uh, to encourage you and and that are a blessing to your life. And God wants to remind you, man, you're you're not alone. You're not alone. And even in the moment uh, where it feels like even the human beings in your circle are just not there when you really need them, man, you're not alone because God is with you. God is with you. Jesus promised uh, to be with us always to the very end of the age, to never leave us or forsake us. Uh, When we put our trust in Jesus, man, he is with us forever by his spirit, right? You're never, ever fully alone. Uh, and, And that's what Elijah gets encouraged with here the Lord tells him no you're not alone and then he instructs him to return uh, back and anoint a new king as well as anoint the man um, named Elisha who's going to be the prophet the Lord will raise up after Elijah and so Elijah obeys and he, he returns he anoints this man um, uh, named Elisha uh, the Lord again uses Elijah to be a prophetic voice of judgment against this evil king and queen evil king and queen die. You can read about it later. The last major episode in the life of Elijah is a supernatural exit from this world where he's taken directly to heaven in a chariot of fire. This doesn't happen to anybody else, right? This is unique. Uh, this is special. It happens in 2 Kings chapter 2. So Elijah, right, he's got a sidekick now. He's got this guy named Elisha. Batman had a sidekick too, right? Um, so, so again, just a regular guy, but now he's a regular guy with a sidekick. Uh, and, and so he and Elisha are walking along. Um, uh, uh, Elijah rolls up his mantle. It says he strikes uh, the river. The waters part. Elijah and Elisha cross on dry land. Right? It's so already miraculous stuff is happening. But catch this in verse 11. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. As they, they being Elijah and Elisha, are walking and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire, and it drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried up by a whirlwind into heaven. Can you imagine having a day like that, right? You're you're walking along with your best friend. Maybe it's a, an older friend, a mentor, uh, a big brother, big sister. You're walking along. You guys are talking. It's all good. All of a sudden, a, a flaming chariot pulled by flaming horses comes down out of the sky, flies between you, and all of a sudden, your buddy's gone. He's just gone in a tornado, and you're there, right? And so we know this didn't catch Elisha by surprise. He knew something like this was happening. I don't know if he knew it would be that exactly because that's wild. Uh, but he knew something was happening. But imagine, man, you're there, Elisha, you're like, Okay, I guess it's me now, right? Because Elijah, he's totally gone. I guess it's me now. And so Elisha does. Elisha takes up the mantle. Elisha becomes the next great, great prophet there uh, for, for the nation. Um, and God uses Elisha uh, in a spectacular way as well. Um, Elijah here, notice he goes directly into heaven, directly into heaven. Elijah was one of only two people uh, there in the Old Testament who never died right? They never died a normal natural death. They never had a funeral. They never got buried in the ground. Uh, there's no headstone anywhere that says here lies Elijah. No, he went directly into heaven. He never died. Uh, the other one is from Genesis. His name's Enoch. Uh, his story is something else too, but it's much, much shorter. Um, but Enoch, Enoch and Elijah, two, two people that never ever died. They didn't die a normal, a normal human death. Um, His exit from the earth was miraculous and unique. And because of this, he has a really special place among the Jews and the Jewish prophets. The Jewish people hold Elijah in very high regard. Even to this day, Elijah is held in very high regard. In fact, among the Jews, there's a belief that he would return one day to usher in the coming of the Messiah. They had this belief because of the prophecies of the prophet Malachi who promised that he would send, you know, God through Malachi promised that he would send Elijah before the day of the Lord's judgment to turn people's hearts back to God, right? So Malachi promises, uh, when you can read Malachi's book, it's a short one, that, that I'm going to send Elijah back. I took him. He never died. He's still alive. I'm going to send him back to usher in uh, the day of the Lord's judgment. And they believe me with that, the coming of the Messiah uh, and the Savior that God would send. First, he's going to send Elijah back to this earth. And so among the Jews, again, Elijah is held in high regard, and there's also a belief, Elijah's coming back one day. Elijah's coming back. We can expect to see him again one day. Uh, and so they have, have different traditions. You, you guys may have even heard about some of the different traditions they have regarding Elijah. One of them is that at their Passover meal, they leave a chair. Elijah, right? Elijah might come back today, so we need a chair for him, right? So, so we're going to set out the lot. We're going to set out our Passover meal. Some of you guys may have a Jewish friend or, or been to an interfaith Passover seder, Passover meal, uh, and, and they'll do this. They'll have have a chair there that's for Elijah, because Elijah might come back, right? And so they've got a chair there for him. They've got a special cup for him to drink out of. Um, and also at uh, circumcision, the little boys are right about this. They've, they've got a chair there for Elijah as well, right? So he can come in and witness that. I think this is a way to say, hey. You know, God encouraged him. There's 7,000 people still keeping the covenant. It's to say, oh, hey, Elijah, today, we're still keeping the covenant. We're still doing, we're still following God's covenant. Uh, There's this expectation that Elijah will return because that's exactly what God had promised through Scripture. The belief was that Elijah, because he didn't technically die, because Malachi said he's coming back, that he's going to return one day. And when he does, the Messiah will be right behind him to restore the people back to God. And can I tell you, this is exactly what happens. Elijah does return, and he returns in a couple different ways. The first way that he returns is he returns in spirit through the ministry of John the Baptist. Right? The Gospels start, and, 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 and the Gospels tell us about this guy, this wild man that ministered out in the wilderness named John the Baptist, who was baptizing people out in the wilderness uh, and also proclaiming uh, the kingdom of God and telling people, hey, to turn away from your sins, uh, and turned back from God, and He was preparing the way, uh, preparing the way for the Messiah to come, preparing the way for Jesus to come. And people would ask John the Baptist, "Hey, are you? We've been expecting Elijah to come back. Is that you?" And he says, "I'm not literally Elijah, but Jesus says something interesting. For those of you that can accept it." And it's the spirit of Elijah, right? He's got the same spirit and ministry of Elijah. This, this is how God is doing that. So he comes in, in spirit through the ministry of John the Baptist, and he also comes uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So as you get as you read the Gospels, uh, there's this episode in the Gospels where, where Jesus takes uh, three of his closest friends up on a mountain. It's called the. In, in, in the scene there, there in the Gospels is called the Mount of Transfiguration where, uh, where God shows up in a dramatic way. Jesus becomes glowing, dazzling, glorious, white, uh, and two other people show up there to fellowship with Jesus. Moses is one, and the other one is Elijah, shows up there. So Mal- Malachi promised... Elijah's going to show up to usher in the coming of the Messiah, and they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there he is. Just like Malachi promised, Elijah's there hanging out with Jesus. Uh, Peter, James, and John are freaking out, same as I would, like, whoa, okay. Moses is back, right, and Elijah too, and, and maybe we could build them some houses. They could live up here. They didn't know what was happening. They really didn't. Uh, and and but, So Elijah is there to usher in the coming of the Messiah. And so just as God had promised through Malachi 400 years prior, Elijah did return to usher in the coming of the Messiah, and that Messiah was Jesus. Jesus is the one that would come and restore us back to God. Jesus is the one that would destroy our bondage to sin and idolatry. Jesus is the one that would rescue us from our depression and our loneliness. Jesus is the Savior that was promised, and Jesus is the one today that if you've never put your trust in, you can put your trust in tonight and be made right with God, have your sins forgiven, be healed of your brokenness, and have eternal life in God through him. So what about us? What can we learn from all of this? What can we learn from Elijah? Well, the New Testament draws a straight line from this amazing Old Testament prophet who performed astounding miracles. He draws a straight line from him to regular, average human beings like me and you, right? Regular humans like us. This is in James chapter 5. This will be our last scripture tonight. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. James is asking you a question. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? Is that anybody? Anybody suffering any hardships like anywhere in your life? Yes? Yes? Well, he says then, I know exactly what you should do. You should pray. You should pray. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? Any of you having a tough time? You should pray. And dropping down to verse 16, he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he reminds you about another guy who's just another human being like me and you. He says, Elijah was as human as we were, as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. He says, hey, remember remember Elijah, he was just a regular human being. But when he prayed, amazing things happened. And that's what God wants to encourage you as well. well we're not superheroes. We're regular human beings. But do you all believe God's word? He says, you can do what Elijah did if you pray. If you put trust in God, if your faith is in God, you can pray and believe God to do the miraculous in your own life. God can do miracles for you as well. He wants to do miracles for you as well, and we can believe God for that. Elijah was, again, just a regular human being with regular human struggles. He was hungry. We read about it. He was depressed. He was lonely. He felt rejection. He experienced all those same things, but God worked powerful miracles through him because it's never about the individual right? It's about the God, the power of God that they put their faith in. Um, And God can do miraculous uh, things through our lives as well. I think it's interesting where James puts the context of this verse, right? So he, he says, hey, are you having any troubles? Are you having any problems? And he lists some of those problems. Like, are you, are you sick? Is there any sick among you? Because you can pray for that, right? Are there any of you that need to confess their sins and have their sins forgiven? Y'all, we can pray about that too. Isn't that good news? That these are the kinds of miracles he's asking us to believe God for, right? But I wanted the, the fiery whirlwind thing. I wanted that with the fire forces. Or I, I wanted the, you know, the other crazy stuff. Here's the miracles, though, that are really life-changing, Right? Do we believe that God can heal and restore our brokenness? Do we believe that God can forgive our sins and make us right with God and make us man, perfectly clean uh, and redeemed? And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our failures and mistakes, but he sees us man, totally new, totally clean because of Jesus. Following this in verse 19, uh, he, he talks about um, if we've got a brother or sister who's strayed away from the Lord uh, and, and believing that God's going to bring them back. These are the kind of miracles we can trust God for, right? And they're huge. Um, That he would miraculously help us in our our hardships as well. That he would rescue, heal, forgive, and restore us. And that he would save those that we love that are far away from God. Man, some of you guys have people that you desperately love and care about, friends, family members that are so far away from God. And to you, it seems impossible. Like, there's no way they're coming back. I need a miracle there. And James says, this is the kind of miracle you can believe God for, right? We're just human beings, just like Elijah. But when we pray, amazing things happen, not because of us. It's not about the individual, but because God is powerful, and he's faithful, and he loves us, right? And so we can trust God for that. We can trust God to heal, to forgive, to restore, and to save and to rescue those that are far from him. Can we believe him from that? Yeah. Yeah. Those things may seem impossible for us, but are they too hard for God? No, they're not. Elijah was a human being just like you, but Elijah was a man of incredible influence because he trusted God. He boldly confronted sin and idolatry. We need to boldly confront the sin and idolatry, first in our own heart and our own life, right? And And we need to stand firm against sin in our lives. He was a human being that struggled just like us, but he showed us that faith in God, we can see miracles in our life as well. Taking a bold stand against sin and idolatry can sometimes leave us feeling lonely, leave us feeling discouraged. Uh, but the Lord can use you in a miraculous way if you stand firm in him. Amen? Amen. Um, ben, would you mind to come pl- play uh, softly as we pray? Would you get, And the rest of you guys stand up. I, I want to just come before God. And, and we talked about trusting God for the miraculous. I, I believe every single person in this room needs a miracle in some area of their life. They, they need the God to step in and do something that's impossible for them to do. Uh, and, and, and again, it, it, may be, it may be a big supernatural, capital M, miracle that you're trusting God for, right? He can do it. Literally nothing's too hard for him and nothing's impossible for him. That's what the scriptures say. For some of you guys, it's like, man, I've got sins I need forgiven. It's sins I just keep bumping my head against again and again and again, temptations I just can't seem to shake. I need a miracle in that part of my life to break the bondage of that sin off of my life. We can believe God for that, right? We can believe that the freedom that Jesus won for you on the cross can be reality in your life, and that tonight that thing can be broken, right? And we want to believe God to to save friends and family members that are far away from him, that God would draw them back, no matter how difficult it seems, how impossible it seems. No one is so far from God that God can't reach him, right? God's, not, God's arm is not too short to save, is what the Bible says, right? There's no one that's beyond God's ability to save and to rescue. And We want to believe God uh, for that as well. So uh, we're going to take these next few moments. May you guys close your eyes. Well, let's just seek the Lord together. Let's just seek the Lord together. Uh, and whatever that is in your life, man, whatever that is in your life, it's like, man, this is an impossible situation. Uh, I need a miracle in. And let, let's believe God for it. Let's believe God for it. And I know sometimes it can help uh, to to pray with somebody else, right? Like like I believe, but sometimes it's really helpful to join my faith with someone else and have a brother or sister pray for me. I didn't ask you guys beforehand, but staff, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you guys come down here and if you just say, I want to pray with somebody about this thing. Um, may, any, any of our pastoral staff, I'd love to pray with you. Um, about anything at all man, man, I really need God's help in this area of my life. i really need a miracle here. Would you pray with me and agree with me? Uh, we're going to stand on the word of God when Jesus promises, if you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it for God's glory. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your word, and we trust you. God, you're faithful. God, we know that you love us. We know that you care. God, you're so gentle and merciful towards us. God, we turn away from you and we turn to still you love us, and still you pursue us, and still you're right there with open arms waiting for us to come back. Father, I pray that you would draw the hearts of students back to yourself tonight. Those in this room tonight that know that they're far away from you, they're not where they need to be with God, I pray that you would draw them by your Holy Spirit, and they put their trust in Jesus what he did on the cross to sin, that you would work a miracle in their life and forgive sins and restore them to God tonight.